0: Grace and peace, you're listening to United We Pray. Taking racial struggles to the throne of grace, United We Pray is a ministry devoted to prayer about racial strife, especially between Christians. We want to help Christians pray and think about race in ways that are biblical and helpful, clear and hopeful. You can learn more about our work at uwepray.com. That's U-W-E-P-R-A-Y.com where you can find articles, old episodes and more. I'm Austin Suter, joined for this live recording of the podcast by special guest, Dr. Jarvis Williams, who has just addressed a gathering here in Birmingham, Alabama. So thank you so much for that address, Dr. Williams, and for your wonderful book. As I hear you talk and as I've read the book, it stood out to me that in the best way, because there are some who approach the questions of unity and diversity in ways that emphasize unity against diversity. They read Galatians 3.28, and they say, well, if God has made us one new humanity, why are you still talking about race or talking about diversity? So I wanted to put that to you. Is it right to focus on diversity if God has made us one new humanity in Christ?
1: Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. So I think the Galatians 3.28 passage, there's no Jew, Gentile, no slave, free, no male and female. We're all one in Christ. That passage actually, I think, is going in a different direction than what folks are saying about that passage with respect to diversity. I think Paul's point in that verse is to emphasize that in Christ Jesus, your status in society does not grant you access to the blessing of Abraham. It does not give you an advantage over those in a different status in society so that in Galatians 3.28, there were male and female, there were Jews and Gentiles, and they were were slave and free. And when they left the congregation, they still operated in those categories in society. But Paul's point is is that as the people of God, who they are in Christ is is what takes priority as the people of God, and who they are in Christ is what gives them access to the Spirit, not who they are in, in society. So I would say that that one of the results of God's saving action in Jesus is to create a people from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation that is a diverse people. doesn't mean every church will be multi-ethnic, but it does mean that, that God is redeeming a multi-ethnic people.
0: Amen. So something else I appreciate about your work is that you're not a critic. So you're not one of the voices in race conversations or in any of these hard conversations who seems to just always be yelling, no, don't do it like that. You were stating a positive case for what you want to see and what you understand God to desire. So I was just wondering, do you have any advice for folks here, me, who may at times just have a critical bent?
1: Well, I appreciate you saying you acknowledge in me something that I don't always acknowledge in me. I think we all struggle with um, how to articulate a helpful and constructive way to build unity. I think I suppose one one thing I would say is that what I, what what I try to reflect upon regularly is Galatians five sixteen and following, walk in the Spirit, uh, and you should by no means so fulfill the lust of the flesh, and and one one manifestation of walking in the Spirit is self control, and and it's very difficult to build redemptive unity if we're simply talking past one another, or worse, if we're screaming at each other. And I haven't done this perfectly. i All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But I think one thing I, I would want myself and all of us to keep in mind is that speaking truth in a calm and loving way is a lot more compelling than trying to be the loudest voice in the room.
0: That's really good, and I think we all recognize that as true. The the voices we hear and want to follow are not the ones shouting at us. So, and I
1: say that having just shouted quite a bit when I was teaching, but I was teach I was preaching, teaching a little. You bit. You were not doing
0: that. You were but, not criticizing.
1: But in terms of just trying to build community, having conversations like this at the same table, uh, over the course of a meal, trying to love one another well, and and to lean into this together in the power of the Spirit with their Bibles
0: open. Amen. So I'm assuming for the folks who chose to come tonight and chose this event over football games and whatever else are at least sympathetic to the kinds of things you're saying. And I was wondering if you had any cautions or advice for folks who get frustrated at resistance when these kinds of hard conversations are brought up. If they really care about these things, but their family or their friends or folks in their churches seem not to, what advice would you give them?
1: Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think one, the theme of your ministry, uh, you, and, you and Pastor Isaac pray. Uh, I think Isaac said this in his remarks earlier that uh, the Lord uses prayer as a means by which he works. So pray, pray for those conversations to be conversations of, of, uh, of joy and unity and love. And I would say secondly, you just have to be content with the fact that there are brothers and sisters who love Jesus who are not gonna be on the right side of this issue to the degree that you want them to be. And you have to be content with that and not let that discourage you from leaning into continuing to work with brothers and sisters to build something beautifully redemptive and and multi-ethnic in your space. Those are a couple of things I, I would say.
0: That's really good. Last question uh, before we transition to questions from our attendees, most of whom are members at Iron City Church. Now, we're very glad for other guests as well, glad for everyone who's joined us, but as you think about addressing members of a specific church, whether that's that's Iron City or some other one, are there any kind of big takeaways you want us to keep in mind as we pursue redemptive kingdom diversity in mm. our context? Mm.
1: Yeah, I think this is the general one that would apply in multi contexts that keep the conversation grounded in god's redemptive vision in jesus that doesn't mean you ignore history it doesn't mean you don't use common sense and common grace but that does mean what we're trying to offer is is something different from what others who are not believers are trying to offer so we want to keep the conversation focused on the vertical horizontal and cosmic redemption in jesus and make sure we don't lose sight of that, or make make sure that we don't think that just because folks aren't compelled by that, that is somehow ineffective or or powerless. Um, there is a remnant, right? There are those who will embrace this vision in a way that is beautiful and, and messy and broken, but but redemptive. But when we don't see the results that we want, we ought not to throw out what God has designed to do in Jesus and pick up the latest fad to try to affect long-term change, because it's not gonna work. Only the gospel will last, ultimately.
0: So question from an attendee here. How would you advise someone to live in redemptive kingdom diversity if where they live, work, worship, or play is not ethnically diverse?
1: Mm, That's a great question. So if you read my book, and I encourage you to buy it and read it, and also read the footnotes as well, I am not arguing by redemptive kingdom diversity for the multi-ethnic church. There are others who are arguing for multi-ethnic church in in their work. I'm a part of a multi-ethnic church, so I'm pro-multi-ethnic church. But when I say redemptive kingdom diversity, that does not mean multi-ethnic church. So I would actually argue, and I suggest in the book, that if you're in a space where there's not a lot of ethnic diversity, and usually what we mean by that is, is that there's not a lot of people with different skin color. Frankly, I think one of the things we need to do is reth- rethink what we mean by ethnic diversity. Because the, the category of black and white, for example, these are racial social constructs. But there are black folks who are not African Americans. There are, there are white folks who are not Italian. Uh, you follow me? So we need to rethink what we mean by ethnicity, and ethnicity is much bigger. So then I would suggest to you that that redemptive kingdom diversity includes the idea of loving your neighbor as yourself and pursuing spirit and power love, even if there's no representation of skin color differences in the spaces in which you find yourself. That you could still lean into this vision because Jesus has died to, to redeem some from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. And in certain spaces, you will have folks who look the same or from the same status. But there are, even in those spaces, different kinds of otherness that God is also reconciled in Christ through the cross. So we can lean into that uh, in ways that will look differently from if we're in a space where there is clear cut, textbook, ethnic diversity.
0: So by having categories and preparing ahead of time and understanding different kinds of diversity, you'll be ready should God bring yeah, ethnic diversity to your I think
1: context. so, yeah. That's a nice way of simplifying it.
0: Your answer. Uh, Second question. Is the weight of responsibility for racial reconciliation in the church heavier for minorities mm. or majority? And how do those responsibilities differ? Mm. That's
1: a great question. So I, I would I would say that that we all are mutually responsible. We don't have equal responsibility, but we have mutual responsibility. I'm borrowing language from George Yancey's book. I think George is doing some really good work. So the way I would want to frame the conversation is is that I want as many people at the table from ethnically diverse contexts as my context and space allows so we can listen to one another, learn from one another, and partner together in ways that are redemptive and will affect long-term change. And depending on my space in which I find myself, that, that might mean there's a heavier burden on one particular ethnic group majority culture over, over uh, in certain contexts. But my point is is that there's a mutual responsibility we all share, so I want you to hear this very carefully. My vision is not white folks just need to shut up and listen, it's not my vision. My vision is, is that we need to listen, and lo- listen to one another and love one another and be willing to disagree in love because we're not gonna all agree on things even when we love one another. But let's focus on how we can listen and love well to get things redemptively done. So that's a long way of saying, I I approach it with a mutual responsibility approach. And in a different, in certain context, that might mean there are certain burdens heavier on on, on this space or that space, but we all have something to contribute to this conversation because we're trying to be reconciled to one another.
0: Yeah. Amen. And friends, he's, he's referencing the work of George Yancey, who, if you're not familiar with his work, has done some really good stuff. We've had him on the United We Pray podcast. But Dr. Williams mentioned not, neither being obsessed with race and skin color nor being colorblind. Splitting that difference is what Dr. Yancey tries to do in his books in setting a, a, what he calls a third way between colorblindness and anti-racism. So if that answer just intrigues you, that's a, that's a good place to go start and do some digging. And
1: there's, by the way, just for clarity, George Yancey. This is George Yancey, who spells his name with an E-Y. Uh, George is a Christian, a sociologist. There's another George Yancey who's a scholar, but that's uh, this one is a Christian brother that I'm talking about. He was also a professor at a, at a university, and he's a churchman as well.
0: That's a good edit. If you have any questions about which one you're looking for, find them on our website. We can We can point you in the right direction. Another question here is how does the effect of generational trauma play into how we approach the topic of redemptive kingdom mm. diversity today?
1: You know, I'm, I'm a New Testament scholar. Um, and so I'm very comfortable with saying that I know a lot about a, about a little. And uh, I'm not qualified to answer questions about trauma. So I wanna stay in my lane. and And so I can't really speak into that because I'm not a trauma expert. I can speak generally and say, that i i would venture to guess that there are uh, image bearers who have been traumatized by uh, different kinds of racism and, eth- and and ethnic division that that make the concept of what i'm talking about difficult because because of the pain that they feel and you know, i just just reflecting just quickly when i was first converted i was witnessing to one of my neighbors african american lady uh, I'm from Eastern Kentucky, in my little town, Eastern Kentucky, and, and she's was a Jim Crow survivor, and it was it was kind of interesting to me because as I was sharing the gospel with her, she began to talk about how much pain she experienced, racism with respect to racism going up, and I, I was just thinking like, what's the connection? I'm talking about Christ and salvation, and she's rejecting that message because she's been treated. In a racist way, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming she was connecting maybe Christ with a version of Christianity that uh, that hurt her. So I, I realize that that could be a challenge, but 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 in Christ Jesus and with common grace and common sense, I think the Lord could help folks who are in those experiences, you know, work through in time those traumatic experiences because of because of race. Uh, I can't imagine what image bearers went through in Birmingham in the 50s and 60s. Can't imagine, I can imagine what James, James Meredith went through uh, when he was shot at, uh, was it Ole Miss or Mississippi State? I can't remember. He wanted to go to one of those two schools. Um, but redemption means that God can do something to bring about holistic, flourishing, forgiveness. Uh, it's, it doesn't mean it's gonna be easy, but it can, it can happen in Christ. I don't know if that's helpful or not.
0: That is helpful. This one here. How would you recommend encouraging believing friends from majority white backgrounds who don't think about these things to meditate on the importance of redemptive kingdom diversity?
1: Yeah, I would say read my book, read Isaac's book, read George Ancy's book, hand those books to those folks. Uh, My pastor and a colleague at Southern are coming out with a book. I'm going to probably get the title wrong. I've already read the manuscript, but it's something along the lines of On Earth As It Is in Heaven. When that book comes out, devour that book, read it. And those are are books that I think can help folks be thinking about these things redemptively.
0: Well, books are obviously a great resource. This next question is somewhat related, which is, can you think of any encouraging examples of church communities living this out well? Your
1: church. Uh, seems to be living it out uh, well. I mean, not perfectly. Nobody does it perfectly. Uh, one of my brothers is here from Louisville. He he um, is a fellow Sojourner Midtowner. He was an elder. Uh, we sent out to plant a church here in Birmingham, Citizens Church. They're seeking to live that out um, in in Louisville at our church, Sojourner Midtown. Certainly, we have our issues, but we're trying to to lean into this, and it's 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 messy and it's and it's beautiful at the same time. And I could give a, a host of churches. The church. There's a church in 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 Tampa, Florida, good friend of mine, uh, Pastor Daryl Williamson. Uh, that church is is a model church, I think, as to how uh, different tongues, tribes, peoples, and nations, in a context where they have the space to have clear-cut textbook ethnic diversity, how they're doing it. Uh, in a way that is redemptive and, and spirit-empowered while also taking seriously the historical realities in which they find themselves. Uh, that's Living Faith Bible Fellowship in Tampa,
0: that church. Great. Thank you. Yep. This one might just be clearing up a, a misunderstanding, especially given what you just said. So question is, surprised to hear the redemptive kingdom diversity rejects a racial victimhood narrative. Isn't that victimization real?
1: Yeah, that's a fair question. When I say racial victimhood, I mean that I am no one's victim just because my skin color is brown. I'm an African-American. Being an African-American doesn't mean I'm I'm oppressed. I'm a middle-class black man with a PhD. There are people of color who have been victimized because of the color of their skin, but the point that I'm pushing against is this whole idea that folks want me to think that because of the color of my skin, my ontology is one of oppressed. I categorically reject that premise. Um, There are people who have been victimized, but in Christ Jesus, that victimization does not have to be their identity. Christ redeems and restores. And, And then also there are people who have not been victimized who are told by folks that they are victims because of the color of their skin. And I think that's, that's, I think that's just not redemptive.
0: So your point of clarification is ontology, not history.
1: Yeah. My, my point is that I was raised by Jim Crow survivors. I didn't suffer Jim Crow for me to walk around. Like there's a cloud of oppression over my head because I'm a descendant of people who suffered real oppression would be, I think, holy, um, not speaking into my reality. Uh, I have experienced racism in Christian spaces as well as non-Christian spaces. I grew up in Eastern Kentucky. I had coaches that said racist things to me. I had teachers who said the N word in class. I, I received an email around this time last year when my book came out, where a person called me the N word 10 times and then responded and told me, this is why you are the N word. but. I will never let anybody define my identity other than what God has said I am in Christ. And I will never accept the the category that I am a victim because of, of the color of my skin. My skin is beautiful. And I can my and I can do and be anything and everything that God wants me to do and be. And it just so happens He wants me to be a seminary professor. And so does that does that mean that I haven't experienced pain? No, it doesn't mean that but it does mean I refuse to let people define me in ways that God doesn't define me, while also recognizing there are people who are really victimized for all sorts of reasons. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, I hope that makes sense.
0: I think that was a good clarification, so thank you for it. Friends, I see the long list of comments here. I apologize that we're not gonna be be able to get to all of them within our time constraints, um, but please stop by and Talk to us about giveaways. When, uh, Sorry, where would you recommend we begin learning about the racial history of our own nation and particularly the South?
1: Hmm. Well, I'm not a historian, um, but uh, some books that have been helpful to me are, uh, there's a book written by a scholar. I remember the title, not the name, uh, Mississippi Praying. That's a book that's been helpful where she... Uh, outlines this uh, history where evangelicals particularly were complicit, not only complicit, but leading the way in um, racial segregation and and overt, explicit racism against blacks. I think, um, yep, that's it, Carolyn Renee Dupont, yeah. And um, and there's so many books, it's, it's, uh, it's hard for me to recall, all of them. I'm thinking of another one. Oh yeah, There's a book called uh, The Baptism of Early Virginia. That's helpful. Uh, written by, I forget her name as well, Isaac. <laughs> you remember her name? <laughs> My brain shuts down at night, and it's at night, for those of you who are listening to this. Um, there's another book written by a friend of mine who's a, who's, a, who's a Christian scholar. He wrote a book called Race and Redemption in Puritan New England. Uh, it's a good book published by Oxford University Press. Uh, you know, There's so many books. There's a book that I would encourage you to read. This is going to be a horrible one, though, so don't read it. Make sure you pray that before you read this book. It's called. Um, it's by a historian named Donald Matthews, and it's called "At the Altar of Lynching." And it's hard. It tells the story of how, in certain Christian contexts in the South, that the lynching of blacks was, was viewed as a way, as a means of atonement to preserve white purity. In certain spaces in the South uh, Donald Matthews at the altar of lynching published by Cambridge University Press so this guy has some theological or some historical chops I mean, there's so many different books that are out there
0: last one here what is your favorite New Testament example of redemptive kingdom diversity
1: oh it's hard to, it's like it's hard to pick a favorite verse of the Bible isn't it because they're all important oh well I think just generally, the fact that Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, died to redeem some from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation, and you see this being worked out uh, in a very explicit way on the day of Pentecost, where different tongues and tribes and peoples and nations receive the Spirit. I think Paul's ministry—excuse me, his ministry—is primarily focused to Gentiles. Uh, I think Paul is 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 I think. Personifying the the um, the concept by taking the gospel to different tongues and tribes as well as taking it to Jews. So I say those two those two examples would be. But you're probably wanting like a story, like a particular encounter. Uh, I mean, I think I'm going to be careful with this example, but I do think there's something to say here practically about it. The Samaritan woman in John four where well, there's a lot happening there. There's, there's ethical issues happening there because she seems to be an immoral woman. There's also some ethnic stuff going on. And she's also a woman. And, and so you have Jesus really turning some of the cultural codes of the day upside down by his encounter with her. And then the fact that she seems to receive his message and then she goes out and announces as a woman to these other men that, that she's seen the Jewish Messiah. And, uh, and then they respond and so on and so forth. That's a pretty powerful story.
0: Well, thank you, Dr. Williams, for this time. We're going to transition into a time of prayer. But before we do that, let me just pray to close out this episode. Father, thank you so much for um, your word and for what it teaches us about you and your heart for these issues. Thank you for giving your church minds like Dr. Williams who can uh, expound your word and bring this truth to bear on your people. Lord, we pray for uh, conviction. We pray for um understanding we pray that your people would better live out the kind of diversity you desire and that would be a witness to the watching world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.